We want to jump right into the solution all the time, but it's more about trying to get them to understand that, hey, there is a problem and here is a potential solution. Once you've identified the solution, you're bringing them into this funnel. Now they're interested. Okay, you have a solution for this problem that I'm experiencing. Tell me more about that solution. And that's where you start to talk more about your particular methodology. You start talking about your particular services. But you know, a lot of people in sales, they want to jump right into that step when they haven't even identified that we understand the problem you're experiencing in the first place. And then once you've narrowed it down, like, hey, we get your solution, that's when they're ready to start having a sales conversation with you. Before that, they're not ready. That's not the stage that they're at. And I think we can all kind of relate to this. We're all consumers in ourselves as well. And just think about like when you're looking for something, if you're not in the market to buy a car, somebody cold calling you to talk about a car is not going to resonate with you whatsoever. But if you're able to kind of put yourself in positions, you know, where you're talking about, hey, is your car experiencing this and this and that, you know, you can then start to position yourself. So when they are in the market to buy a car, they're going to think about you first. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome back to Designing Growth. My name is Sam Chlebowski, host of the Designing Growth podcast and one of three co-founders at Motion.io. I am very excited today to be joined by Christian Banak. Christian is all about helping agencies and MarTech companies build relationships, gain perspectives, and grow through his business. Christian helps guide agencies and MarTech companies to predictably land six and seven figure opportunities and unlock their full potential. So very excited to chat with you today, Christian, and kind of dive into some of the things that you're doing to help agencies grow and some of the tactics you are using. But first, I wanted to ask you just generally, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic, Sam. I appreciate you uh, bringing me on the show and looking forward to having a great conversation with you. Amazing. And where are you joining us from today? I am from cloudy Chicago right now. Okay, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, I am out here in Denver. We've been having some like beautiful weather the past two days finally been a long snowy winter but things are shaping up i bet the same will be true for you guys in chicago in just a little bit here chicago in the summertime man it is a vibe out there i love being there in the summertime i've been to a couple conferences there in the summer and i was always just like blown away how much is going on yeah no it's a great city uh we you know we joke we were talking about earlier today it's gonna go from you know cloudy and then next thing you know it's gonna be 90 degrees in summer it's just there's no spring here i feel like at times but a great city nonetheless especially in the summer very cool very cool so let's kind of get into it here christian and i know that you are working with a variety of businesses and you kind of focus your efforts in the agency and then MarTech space. How did you get here with your business? What is your kind of career background leading up to this point? Yeah, well, that's a great, uh, a great question. I can't say that I, you know, necessarily set out to do, you know, exactly what I'm doing. Like most people, I kind of stumbled into this, but to kind of take it way back, I was uh, always very entrepreneurial growing up, buying and selling baseball cards, had a neighborhood lawn service. When I was 18 and, and a senior in high school, I actually uh, got a group of friends together and we rented a banquet hall out and we threw a, a DJ dance party. That went over incredibly well. We made a lot of money. We made some new friends and decided, hey, let's do another one of these things. So that's actually how I ended up paying my way through college is doing these different events. Got out of college and ended up getting a job as a marketing coordinator. Still doing these events on the side, but realized you know, I was making more money and having more fun doing this side hustle than I was doing the main thing. So 
ended up leaving that position and went all in on the events business. But at this time, the events had moved on from like local banquet halls to concert venues. And we were working with artists like Lady Gaga and Pitbull and some really big artists and tours. And what ended up uh, then happening is we got approached by an experiential marketing agency who wanted some help with a local activation. And they knew we had these concert promotion capabilities. So we ended up helping them out. That went over incredibly well, which led to more and more opportunities, more in the experiential marketing space. Eventually, the light bulb kind of went on saying, well, why are we working directly with these agencies? Why don't we go direct to the brands themselves and cut out sort of the middleman? So that then birthed really the second part of the business, which was our own experiential and event marketing. So we really had kind of two sides of the house. Business buzzed along really good for a good 15 or so years. And then the 2008 recession hit. And like, unfortunately, a lot of the clients that I work with today we didn't really have a sales process. It was a very much referrals, word of mouth type business. It got us to where we we're at, but we hit a wall. So I went out, I hired a sales consultant. They came in, really helped me zone in on the processes. And what ended up happening is I love the business development side of the business. So after another kind of year or two of struggling along, I decided it was time to, to move on from my business. So I closed things down. I went to go work at a marketing agencies in a business development capacity. Did that for about 10 years. Discovered though, along the way that my superpower, if you will, is really on the hunting side of the business. You know, a lot of people talk about the pitch and the close and sales, uh, which I like, don't get me wrong, but the hunting to me was more energizing. And it was something that a lot of people were interested in or really loved to do. So that's really the area that I really kind of carved out a niche for myself and ended up getting huge deals with Anheuser-Busch and Constellation Brands and Kohl's and some huge companies. But in the back of my mind through these 10 years, I wanted to do something out on my own again, but I wasn't sure what, when, or how. And then fast forward to the pandemic in 2020, and I felt like it was deja vu all over again. I saw these agencies struggling like they did in the recession. The difference here was it wasn't me. I felt like I was now the consultant that could give back to others, just like that consultant and helped me out. So I ended up leaving the agency that I was at and decided I was going to start my own consulting firm specifically though, to try to help these struggling agencies land opportunities with the companies that they want to work with. And that was um, a little over two and a half years ago now. And, and here we are. What a trajectory. And there's a couple of things that I want to break down in there. You know, the first is the opportunities that recessions can provide. I mean, I heard it within you telling the story twice, first in 2008, again in 2020. And after each of those recessions, it was a pivot, either where your career was going or what you were doing and allowed you to expose opportunities. And I think that that is something oftentimes people have a tendency to not see when it comes to an economic recession. There's all of this doom and gloom. 2008, I was still in high school, so that doesn't really apply. But like when you get to 2020 and then even some of the stuff that we're dealing with now, it's like these hard times create opportunities and I think create the next generation of businesses and business owners. And I think that there's a lot that can be learned there looking at your career and the businesses that you've been able to thrive and really grow from some of those opportunities. Yeah, most definitely. I can't say in the middle of all of it, it was you know, crystal clear to me, you know, that this is the path that I should go on. But I think if you keep your eyes open and your options open, 
and you just keep putting yourselves in the right positions. Some of these opportunities, the paths start to emerge when I, you know, relate back to 2008. I mean, it was very challenging and very tough, but it was definitely a time that I needed to make a pivot. And I think sometimes, you know, when you hit sort of the bottom, that's the way back up to the top. And for me, at least in 2008, that was sort of the situation. And in 2020, you know, it was a little bit different, but I used the experience that I had in 2008. And again, like I'd mentioned, it sounded like deja vu. Like I felt like I'd seen this movie before. And I think that comes with experience and, and some wisdom. Uh, and I was able to use that in a positive way. So I definitely would agree with you. The other piece that I wanted to get into and I thought was particularly fascinating was how within your business now, you've really kind of narrowed down into this hunting aspect of revenue growth and then also like new customer acquisition targeting this specific niche. And it makes total sense to me because that hunting piece is something that is so hard. You know, when you look at sales and people who are really interested in sales, passionate about sales, they love the close. They love working those customers to close. But that piece that comes before that, I think there's two reasons why people don't go after it. First, because they don't really like doing it, but then also because it can be really challenging and time consuming to do and craft a strategy for it, especially if you are a type of business where you are used to getting a lot of inbound referrals. I've done a couple of consulting projects in a similar vein going into consulting agencies, whether they did like agile development or whether they did software development and they were getting so many leads from these inbound referrals. And then when it's time to set up a system for generating leads, for sourcing leads, they kind of like don't know exactly what to do. I would love to know like your methodology behind what you're doing for organizations and what's really working well for you right now when it comes to this hunting side of the sales process? I would say that, you know, our vision of this has even evolved over the last couple of years. When we initially launched, we were really more focused just on what I'll call demand capture, sending out cold emails or doing cold calls and, you know, really trying to time the market and find those prospects that are interested in looking for whatever services that you happen to be offering. And those opportunities are great, but that really represents a very small piece of the market that might actually be in market at any given time. Research shows that it may only be 3% of the market is actually looking for services like yours at any given time. So what we noticed though, was that the clients that were doing the best in this kind of hunting, we were only a piece of the pie of what they were doing from a sales and marketing standpoint. They had a whole other side of the house that was really focused on awareness and demand creation in the first place. And those campaigns that, and those clients, I should say that we worked on that had that going. And then we were coming in as sort of the people that, you know, helped convert that into a, into at least a first sales meeting. We're seeing a lot better results. So our philosophy then has changed. And not that I say our philosophy, but our services have really changed to offer both because I think when people are starting to think about, oh, we need leads. They want to jump right into the outbound portion of it. And for most, you really have to start from the top. And we, we kind of call it like the yin and yang. You have to have a way to build that awareness and demand in the first place. There's just so much competition in the market right now. There's so many competitors that are out there. We are also fighting just for attention in people's inboxes. So you really have to think about this in a more holistic way. And I would say really, you need to have that first piece to build that awareness and demand. And then you have to have a way to capture it. And, uh, and we actually call it relationship making. We don't actually even like to use the term lead generation. I think that has a very short term transactional type of connotation to it versus relationship making is more long term and more genuine in how you approach it. 
And I think just given all the market conditions that are out there, having that shift in mindset is really critical. And, and those clients that we work with and even how we do it for ourselves, we just see those having much better results rather than thinking short term. This is really exciting to hear you say this, partially because it's like personally validating for me. That separation between demand capture first demand creation is something that it sounds like you have been focused on for a little while now, but it's only something that I've begun to realize with this new business and separating those two in my mind, because I think it's something that given the current market conditions, a lot of businesses, regardless of what type of business it is, could benefit from. And I think that there is a younger generation of people who are selling people who are marketing, who are doing these things without really thinking about it. I mean, even just the other night, I was reading this Reddit thread where a SaaS startup founder was basically asking, you know, how are people selling these days? And in the comments, one after one, it's cold outreach. It is using pay-per-click ads. And nobody in that entire thread, there was probably 150 comments, was talking about how do you create that demand in the first place? All of the strategies that were covered are 100% still completely viable, but it fulfills a different part of the funnel in my mind. Like when somebody clicks on a pay-per-click ad, a YouTube ad, whatever ad you're putting out there, that is capturing demand. That's not what created that demand. What created the demand is all of the other things that you are doing. Is that a similar philosophy that you subscribe to? It sounds like it is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you think about the funnel, first of all, the, the funnel is not a linear process. People are bouncing in and out of the funnel at different stages, but we really think first and foremost about that awareness and kind of decision-making part of the funnel. So we think about the funnel, awareness, consideration, and then decision. So it's really showing up where these buyers are at and creating content to meet each one of those different various stages. So from the awareness stage, maybe creating some sort of like an email newsletter. It could be showing up in social feeds. It could be appearing on podcasts like we have here today, other sorts of content creation. And it's really, you know, more so about zeroing in on, hey, we think you might be experiencing this problem and here's a solution to that problem. You know, we want to jump right into the solution all the time, but it's more about trying to get them to understand that, hey, there is a problem and here is a potential solution because the bottom line is if you're suffering sales, there's infinitely many ways that you can solve that. Maybe you need a new website. Maybe you need a new salesperson. There's a thousand different ways that you can slice and dice it. So it's really trying to show up there and understand that, wait, we get your problem and here's a solution to think about. And then the next step, once you've identified the solution, you're bringing them into this funnel. Now they're interested. Okay, you have a solution perhaps for this problem that I'm experiencing. Tell me more about that solution. And that's where you start to talk more about your particular methodology. You start talking about your particular services. But you know, a lot of people in sales, they want to jump right into that step when they haven't even identified that we understand the problem you're experiencing in the first place. And then once you've you know narrowed it down, like, hey, we get your solution, that's when they're ready to start having a sales conversation with you. Before that, they're not ready. That's not the stage that they're at. And I think we can all kind of relate to this. We're all consumers in ourselves as well. And just think about like when you're looking for something, if you're not in the market to buy a car, somebody cold calling you to talk about a car is not going to resonate with you whatsoever. But if you're able to kind of put yourself in positions, you know, where you're talking about, hey, is your car experiencing this and this and that, you know, you can then start to position yourself. So when they are in the market to buy a car, they're going to think about you first. So much of what you just said is kind of this like two minute masterclass basically of like a modern sales and marketing funnel. And I think there's a lot of tiny pieces within there that you could take away about how you can best attract your ideal type of clients 
how you can bring customers to you and helping you avoid spending extra time, extra resources on leads and prospects that aren't going to buy. One of the things that I think is a big problem that holds companies, especially companies who you know maybe have established sales processes, have established metrics they're looking to hit, trying to kind of achieve that next level of growth. One of the things that I've seen as a struggle is tracking some of these demand creation exercises. I mean, I even saw it when I was working a few years ago at a much larger business. I ended up leaving and kind of going back into the startup space. But one of the things that was tough for our marketing department and what would cause us to butt heads a lot of times with the sales team was we had this top line metric of leads that we were bringing in. And that was what we had to report on quarter after quarter. If we weren't doing that, we weren't doing a good job. The thing is, there was no metric that was holding us accountable to the quality of those leads. So we were doing things. And you know, when you're working on a team, I'm reporting to somebody who reports to somebody else who reports to somebody else. At the end of the day, you don't have complete control of that. And that's kind of why I like the startup space. But we're bringing in all of these MQLs, we call them marketing qualified leads. And, you know, they would convert at such a small percentage because it was just looking at the sheer number of leads, not the quality of those leads. When you go into a business, are you doing anything to help them with their analytics and kind of reframe their minds around how they can adjust goals that will support some of these other demand creation strategies you're implementing? How do you look at that? So most of our clients, I, I want to preface this, are generally taking more of a, an enterprise approach. So they are looking okay. to land those bigger six and seven figure opportunities. So part of the initial work that we're doing with them is to get really clear on what is that addressable market? What are the industries they should be playing in? Who are the right companies they should approach? Generally, these target lists are in the hundreds, not the thousands or 10,000. We really want to narrow down, you know, who the target audience, you know, happens to be. But to your point, yeah, it's not a volume game about the number of, you know, MQLs or whatever that, that we can generate. It's really about how can we show engagement from those accounts that we've identified in our prospecting list. We are working with website visitor ID tracking type tools that will identify those visitors to your website. Are they coming from any of the companies that are on our target list? We have an email newsletter. We can track back and see, are we getting engagement from anybody within those target accounts? We're running ads, LinkedIn ads, for example. You can see if there's companies that are engaging in your ads. So there's a number of ways, but we look at it more from a engagement standpoint. Are they engaging? Because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to warm them up. We're trying to build some demand first and foremost for the products or services that our clients are having to offer. We also look at some other software metrics, which I think are indicators that your marketing is working. Branded search in Google. Are more companies now putting your name in and Googling and trying to find you? If that's the case, then your marketing is probably working. Are you getting invites from different media to speak about certain topics? If they are, then again, your marketing and thought leadership is starting to resonate. So we look at the metrics a little bit differently in terms mm -hmm. of then actually being able to report on that. I think it's twofold. I mean, if we're talking about an inbound lead, most of our clients aren't using any you know sort of attribution software. We're not really playing the volume volume game. So for most of those, that, that doesn't really make sense from a financial standpoint. But it's as simple as having a how did you hear about us option in your contact us form gives really great insights. You know, I saw your LinkedIn ad, or I read your thought leadership, or a lot of times it's multiple things. Because again, we talk about a buyer journey. It's not one piece of content, one LinkedIn post that ultimately drove them to want to meet you. Usually it's a series of things that happen over a long period of time. So we're thinking about that usually from an inbound standpoint. But to be honest, I mean, there's still that other portion of it where it's that capture 
piece. You know, we've done a warm up job. We can tell that these prospects are hitting our website. They're engaging with our ads, but they're still not reaching out to us directly. But once they've reached a certain threshold, then we can start reaching out to them with our cold outreach, whether that be email, whether that be phone, direct mail, and then ultimately try to schedule a meeting. But it helps us to narrow down on since resources are limited, especially in a recession or whatever type of period we happen to be in right now, to be able to narrow down the list and this is who we should target. This is who we should spend more extra time on with our one-to-one outreach based on the engagement levels that we see through our marketing efforts. What you had just mentioned specifically with the lead gen forms of transitioning that from trying to use kind of like third-party tracking and using all of these different data sources to transitioning it to just like a, how did you hear about us form? I love that. I kind of just realized when I was hearing you saying it, because you're exactly right. There's all of these different ways that people can hear about you. What you need to know is the thing that really stuck in their mind. And if you are asking them on a form, like, Hey, how did you hear about us? I think that at the end of the day is going to provide you a lot more information than what, you know, Google ads is reporting, what your CRM HubSpot, Salesforce, whatever you're using is reporting. And it helps you gain a much clearer picture of like what strategies you may want to consider doubling down on, what you want to consider throwing more money at, and has been really, really useful just in what we've done here at Motion.io so far. When it comes to paid advertising, are you helping people set up flows for that as well? What are the platforms that seem to be working for you right now as far as like digital ads go? Yeah, so we're primarily focused right now with LinkedIn ads. We see really good success with that, mainly because of the targeting that you're able to do, especially if we're Mm -hmm. doing more of an account-based approach like we typically do for clients. So we're able to zero in on specific companies, specific seniority levels, job titles. I think LinkedIn ads sometimes get a bad rap because they're expensive. I'm willing to pay a little bit more knowing that I'm reaching the exact audience that we want to get in front of. So building that out and then we're seeing success, you know, with retargeting ads then on LinkedIn as well. So that primarily where we're playing right now is LinkedIn ads. But I think depending on your industry and depending on who you're targeting and the type of firm you are, I mean, there are obviously other areas, but I think from the agency space and MarTech space, that's where we're seeing the best results right now. With your LinkedIn ads, that is kind of that demand capture piece of the puzzle. Are you also helping people within these organizations get their team more active on LinkedIn to support some of those things? Do you do any of that work as well? I'll answer that. I want to come back. Um, you know, we look at LinkedIn ads though as two different sides. We do think of it as a demand creation because these okay. ads are not necessarily lead gen type forms. It is educational type content that is again just trying to show up and and say, hey, you might be experiencing this problem. Here is some educational type of content. Then there are another set of ads though that are driven more so to try to convert that into a meeting. So I think LinkedIn ads can do both. In terms of more like a LinkedIn organic approach, yes, we are helping to work with with clients as well. Ads are great and we see results and it's a little bit quicker. But again, trying to get your team on LinkedIn first and foremost is key and, and getting them posting that same type of thought leadership content. Our approach and philosophy on LinkedIn is not to connect with someone and pitch slap them or whatever, you know, where you're instantly in their DMs asking for a meeting. We're not even asking for a meeting. We are just connecting, sharing something, you know, nice to meet you. But the idea is you're in the network now and you're posting content on a regular basis. You're showing up. They're going to see you when the timing is right. They're going to remember you and they're going to reach out to you. That's how we're approaching. LinkedIn is a very much more hands-off, long-term relationship type of an approach. I appreciate you calling out that difference that you can use LinkedIn ads as demand creation when you are offering these kind of educational resources on there. That's a very good clarification. 
something I actually hadn't really considered thinking about the way that we will develop parts of our funnel going forward. Uh, and I think it helps show people that there's a different way to use LinkedIn other than what they may have seen. Because I think that that's part of the reason why organizations are hesitant to use LinkedIn, because the first thing that they think of is somebody just sliding into their inbox and saying, hey, book this meeting, try this product, this software with me. Where are you seeing value in terms of the different tools that you're using? Is there any software technology that you really love right now, either that you are working with internally or that you are helping people implement within their own businesses? It's a good question. One of our go-tos still thinking more on the demand capture side, outbound prospecting. We work with outreach.io, which is really serves a great purpose. It's sort of a CRM, you know, kind of built right in, but it allows us to put together our, you know, our different follow-up and email sequences we have. And we use it in kind of interesting ways where we're still able to keep it very highly personalized. So that is where our team is kind of living and breathing day in and day out. As I mentioned earlier, website visitor ID tracking is something that we've been using, but now we're really rolling it out through all of our clients. And that's just been a tremendous tool, again, to see, you know, what are those companies that are visiting your site? And are they actually clicking? Because if you're not asking for their email address in a lead gen form, it can be, is anybody seeing this? You know, I don't know. But if you know you're targeting certain companies and you see that they have visited your website and spent time on this page and that page, and then they came back two weeks later, you know things are working and that just will help inform the outbound side. Are you setting that up through something like Google Analytics or is that its own tool? that you currently have? It's its own tool. Lead Feeder, Lead Magic are two of the industry leaders, if you will. But it's uh, it, yeah, it's something completely separate than from a Google Analytics. And it more or less will turn, you know, anonymous website visitors. It could track the IP address and using some of their algorithms and technology, know that this individual from Pepsi visited, not the individual, but somebody from Pepsi visited our website. And you know then that if you're targeting Pepsi, then that, you know, you can now do a more pointed outreach you're not going to know the individual that reached out from Pepsi, but you're going to at least know somebody from the team is, and that'll help inform again, your outreach. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I think it also did like pose a really interesting problem with this new sort of iteration of marketing tactics and sales strategies that the third party cookie is kind of dead. Like you used to be able to track everything where they're coming from. And now, you know, I've seen too, just having that first party data of seeing how somebody's moving through your site, seeing what they're engaging with can be incredibly insightful for helping make improvements to a sales process. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to relationship building, how are you kind of crafting a relationship building strategy around that? I know we had talked about some of that demand creation, demand capture. What are some of the things that you're doing that you're seeing working well? right now to nurture those leads to get them to eventually buy? I'll answer it in two ways. You know, the first thing that I, I want to say is we call it providing value. That's one of the first steps. And, and this this is related Love to that. both sides. It's understanding first and foremost, like, you're, you know, when you're reaching out, even in a cold email, like we're not reaching out saying, hey, we'd love to get 15 minutes in your calendar to tell you all about our service and how great we are and all of that. It's just such a crowded marketplace. Like, you know, people are becoming blind to those types of messages. So it's really, again, trying to understand what are the problems they're experiencing and what can you do to add value back to them? Is that some sort of thought leadership content that you have that talks about the problem that they're experiencing? Is that original research maybe you've done into their industry and you can provide industry insights? Can you do a free audit of some sort for them? Are there PR opportunities maybe that you could provide them? Maybe it's inviting them on a podcast like this. So there's a lot of different ways, but the idea here is that you're going to want to start that relationship by giving them something 
before you try to get something. We call it a give to get. So you're going to give them something before you get something back. What you want to get back is ultimately their time, right? You want to get that 30 minute call, an hour call from them. But think about what do you have that you can offer value to them upfront. So that right off the bat starts that relationship off differently than a typical kind of sales demo kind of type of conversation. And I think from there, once you get that actual first engagement, that first meeting with them, it's now about, you know, understanding their, the pain points that they're experiencing and continuing to nurture them along the way. And what I love about this kind of awareness and demand, you know, creation is that yes, the idea is to try to get them in the quote unquote funnel, but much of that same content is also there to nurture them along the way, because you may meet with them and they may not be ready to buy, you know, in that moment, they might like you and all of that, you know, but it doesn't mean they're always going to buy right away. But that same content, if you continue to serve that up to them, will continue to help them, you know, in their journey. And maybe that's a month, maybe that's 18 months, you know, you never really know. But it's about having that sort of always on demand creation awareness. And then also once you've met with them, then providing a level of one-to-one communication with them as well. Being able to listen to what those pain points were, get to know them a little bit and shooting them a one-to-one email about it with an interesting article that you think might be helpful to them or liking their post on social media. So there's a lot of different ways. But again, I think it's all boils down to having that mentality. You're not trying to get a lead. You're not trying to get a sale. You're trying to build a relationship. And if you've effectively done that, when the timing is right, things will work out. Givers gain. Yeah, it's a mindset that's been really impactful to me, not only when it comes to sales and marketing, but I also I think that there's things that you can learn from part of what you just shared when it comes to things like partnerships as well. Like if you're approaching a new business with a partnership where you want to co-promote each other's services or you want to collaborate in some other way, if you can be the one who first offers up to spend the time to create something for them, to provide something for them, provide that initial value, like you said, it can be a really great jumping off point for not only sales, but yes, things like marketing, things like partnership initiatives, all of these kind of things within your business. So really love the uh, thought process behind that as well. So Two final questions here, just to wrap up our conversation today. And Christian, once again, so thankful to have you on and sharing your expertise and what's working within the businesses that you are helping out. I think that this new point of view and the way that you are handling demand creation, demand capture, and ultimately helping companies land deals, I think there's a lot that can be broken down to all businesses of all sizes. So thank you again. This was an awesome chat. So my two final questions for you. First is, a, uh, first is business one. Second is a fun one. If people want to learn more about you and the work that you are doing, where should they go and find you? Yeah, I would say the best spot would be christianbanach.com, our website. It's B-A-N-A-C-H, christianbanach.com. On there, we offer a free masterclass. If you want to dive into any of this deeper, you can register there. We also have our own weekly email newsletter where I provide some motivational stories and some other insights into CMOs that have moved on and other industry-wide insights. So that would be a great place to start. If you want to connect with me on a personal level, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I answer all my own messages. So feel free if you have any questions about anything or just want to say hi, you know, shoot me a DM there. Love it. And we will put links to all of those things in the show notes of this episode that will be up on our blog. 
And finally, for my last question for you before we sign off here, Christian, when you were not working, how do you like to spend your time? What do you like to do? Well, I will say that I am a pickleball addict. I picked up the sport a little less than a year ago now, started off playing maybe once a month, and then it was once a week, and then it was twice a week, and now it's about three times a week, and I'm in tournaments. But it's been really fun from an athletic standpoint. It's great to get out there and get exercise from a social aspect. I've met a lot of new friends, and uh, I've always been a competitive person. And so it kind of scratches that itch as well. So pickleball is definitely where I spend a lot of my time lately. I love it. Pickleball, I have been hooked now for like three years. And it began a similar way for me too, where it would be, you know, we play once a month. And then it quickly got to the stage where like, oh, there's an indoor pickleball place 10 minutes down the road. We can play all winter. This is great. And that quickly led to playing once a week almost. And I am so excited now that it's finally sunny to be to start playing outside again. The only thing we have to deal with in Colorado, though, is it can be really windy sometimes, even in the middle of the summer, which I don't know if you've ever tried to play pickleball uh, when it's really windy, but it just does not work. Oh, well, Chicago, you probably know all about that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've been able to get outside a couple times and it's been a little challenging. I feel like I'm an amateur sometimes when it's windy. So I, I actually like, I might like indoor better, believe it or not. So I love it. I love it. So cool. Thank you so much again, Christian, for coming on and sharing your expertise. Until next time, everybody, my name is Sam Chilbowski, host of the Designing Growth Podcast. If you like this episode, we would love it if you went ahead and gave us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. Until next week, everybody, have fun, good luck, and go crush it. Bye-bye.